It's Aspen Insight from the Aspen Institute. I'm Marcy Krivenin. And I'm Ben Berliner. Ben, welcome. It's your very first show as co-host. I'm glad to have you on board. Thanks so much, Marcy. I'm really excited to be part of the show and to introduce our listeners to some of the amazing work happening here at the Institute. Well, let's get to it, shall we? In today's show, we dig into the Institute's history and how a mid-century modern art movement influenced our work, both inside and outside of the office. Elements of a highly influential German modern art school, the Bauhaus, can be seen across our 40-acre Aspen campus in the Rocky Mountains. Here's Institute Vice President Crystal Logan. Many people, when they see our campus, they might ask, you know, where are the the logs and the antlers and the, you know, the mountain rustic feel? And uh, when they see our buildings, it is a very austere, uh, mid-century modern look to our campus. The Institute is home to about 200 Bauhaus artifacts, from tapestries and murals to sculptures and landscape art. The Bauhaus School began 100 years ago but it closed in 1933 under pressure from the Nazis. Its students and masters fled Germany. One of its practitioners ended up in Aspen and brought Bauhaus to the Institute. From May through September, landscape architect Anne Mullins gives tours every other week of the Aspen Institute grounds. I have people call up like this high school group that was studying 3D art, and this was perfect, this tour for this. And then there was another group from... Uh, New York that was here and just wanted, it was one of the sites they wanted to see. She takes groups from one end of campus to the other, stopping along the way to explain the murals, earth mounds, sculptures, and architecture that dot the mountainous landscape, hanging on office walls, accentuating park space, and etched on the exterior of flat-roofed modern conference buildings. It's not tour season, but Mullins agrees to show me around. We trudge through deep snow to a marble sculpture created by Bauhaus practitioner Herbert Beyer. So now we're standing in the marble garden. Uh, This kind of iconic on the campus. You see photos of this all the time. Marble Uh, Garden is close to the on-campus Bauhaus-inspired hotel, the Aspen Meadows. Bayer created the sculpture in 1955 using discarded marble from an old quarry nearby. It is a 36 by 36 square uh, aggregate concrete pavement with 20 pieces of marble. The marble pieces look randomly situated, but their placement is intentional. The perception of the garden changes as you walk around and look at the way the, the pieces are put together. And then in the center, is a uh, 12-foot square fountain, and it's basically a a pool of water with a jet in the middle that shoots up 20 to 25 feet in the summer. And what what was his intention with this, uh, with people viewing this? From what I've read about Bayer, he just loved to explore art, explore ways to engage people in the landscape or just engage people. My guess is it would be another way to get people out in the landscape, looking at it, questioning it, wondering where the marble came from, walking around, looking at the pieces. Like I said, did this piece, was this broken off from this one? Does that cylinder fit in that block over there? From 1953 to 1973, Herbert Beyer designed the entire Aspen campus 
Back then, it was called the Aspen Institute for Humanistic Studies. The Institute's founder, Walter Pepke, brought Bayer to town. Pepke dreamed of transforming Aspen into a center for dialogue, where thinkers, leaders, artists, and musicians could step away from their busy lives and reflect on societal values. Bayer was part of this vision. Herbert Beyer came to Aspen in 1946, and with him came this tremendous influx of Bauhaus philosophy and ethos. Lissa Ballinger is art curator for the Institute. She says Beyer was one of the original teachers at Germany's Bauhaus school. Along with Kandinsky, Paul Klee, Joseph Albers, Johannes Itten, um, Mies van der Rohe, Hans Meyer, Walter Gropius, some really um, formidable artists. The Bauhaus School was operational for just 14 years, but its influence is long-lasting. Artists today still use its principles. More on that later. A goal of the Bauhaus was to unite fine art and functional design, combining beauty with usefulness. It was a radical idea back then. Ballinger says the Institute's simple cinder block buildings are a reflection of Bauhaus concepts. No decoration or ornamentation on the outside of the building. A big focus on windows and um, bringing the outside in. And also very important to the entire Aspen Institute campus is the fact that the buildings are a really banal gray color. One of the tenets of the Bauhaus is efficiency and practicality. And so this reduction of ornamentation is very deliberate. Herbert Beyer didn't want the buildings to overwhelm the natural environment. Another Bauhaus tenant? There's a social function in architecture and design. That's why some of the Institute buildings are octagonal. Institute Vice President Crystal Logan says the round walls and tables inside meeting rooms serve the Aspen method of treating everyone equally. There's no leader to the table. There's no leader at the helm of a seminar. Everyone's equal. And our um, mission really is to bring people together treat all sides with respect and come together to build understanding of issues, build understanding of of certain problems with the ultimate goal of solving problems. One of these Bauhaus buildings is just outside my office door. During the year, I see business, nonprofit, and government leaders from China, Africa, and across the globe head inside. They sit at the round tables with a goal to help build a better society. Morning. Introductions are really funny. They pay me $60, so I wore a tie. Back in um, 1983, one of the leaders to visit the Aspen campus was Apple founder Steve Jobs. He spoke at the International Design Conference. His hour-long talk was captured on cassette tape and released publicly three decades later by tech blogger Marcel Brown. Here's a clip. The reason Apple exists is because we stumbled on to fractional horsepower computing five years before anybody else. That's the reason we exist. Crystal Logan says the young Jobs was struck by the spare and simple white look of the hotel buildings on campus. He was working at that time on the personal computer, and, and the personal computer at that time was black and big and clunky and heavy, and it was a big machine. He was explaining that this big clunky thing that's sitting on your desk, why not make it beautiful? 
um, he admitted that he was really inspired by this whole idea that things can be beautiful and spare. Jobs biographer and former Aspen Institute president Walter Isaacson wrote, Jobs was exposed to, quote, the clean and functional approach of the Bauhaus movement, unquote. The less is more Bauhaus design ultimately played a role in the clean look of Apple products. I was naturally, I think, a Bauhausler. I was doing lots of art projects. I was very interested in engineering and practical things, and I was also interested in architecture. Bauhaus impacted architect Harry Teague even in childhood. His father and grandfather, both designers, would argue the merits of the movement. Teague moved to Aspen when a season ski pass cost 75 bucks. Now it's nearly two grand. He ended up working in an office next to Herbert Beyer, very close to the ski slopes. And so you had the freedom to go out for a lunch break, two-hour lunch break, and take a few runs, because it was right there, and it was pretty great. That's awesome. <laughs> Teague was inspired by Herbert Beyer and Bauhaus, particularly the social function tenant of the movement. For his graduate thesis, he researched early childhood development. Before designing a new school in Aspen, the design enhanced the school's social structure. We designed them all around a central space so that the different age groups would interact naturally instead of being stuck at one end of the building or the other. And that you, that you would encourage the interaction of different age groups. Now he creates designs for nonprofits, researching the organization first to learn how the building can support and nurture what people are doing inside. His designs incorporate the natural environment, a Bauhaus trait, but often he uses materials that are outside the realm of the movement. It sounds like you have taken sort of the philosophy of Bauhaus right. and not necessarily the style right. and, 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 and use that when thinking about the projects you design. Exactly. That is Bauhaus, though. To think of it only as a style really uh, freezes the Bauhaus idea when really it was more about ongoing implementation of that philosophy. And I think that when we look at like what we can take away, how does it relate to now? We can either repeat the style, which is not really a very Bauhaus thing to do, or we can learn from that process. He's carrying the legacy of Bauhaus. His firm designed the Benedict Music Tent next to the Institute's campus. It's the Aspen Music Festival and school's primary music venue. The Institute gave rise to the music festival back in 1949. Teague's tent replaced an earlier version designed by Herbert Beyer. Back on campus, landscape architect and tour guide Ann Mullins stops in the snow at the edge of a Beyer earthwork. So this is the grass, uh, grass mound. Created in 1955, Institute curator Lisa Ballinger says it's the very first piece of land art in the earthwork movement, which emerged in the 1960s and 70s. Mullins. It's partially covered with snow. It doesn't look like, it looks great with no snow or great with um, completely covered with snow. Then you can see the shapes. Both Mullins and Lissa Ballinger are committed to preserving the artwork on the campus, which is a big job. Remember the marble garden from the top of the show? The sculpture made of discarded pieces of marble? Well, it's deteriorating, says Ballinger. 
And so in order to preserve it, we're having to evaluate the marble and to figure out whether we need to lift the marble up off the ground because it's um, from the water below in the environments that we live in. Um, the marble is its a natural material and it's decaying. She says preserving the artwork on campus is important for the community of Aspen, the Institute's legacy, and for the Bauhaus movement. Turns out the Institute campus is a highly unique collection of art. This campus is specifically, the campus of the Aspen Institute is one of the greatest manifestations of a Bauhaus total environment in the world. This idea of a total environment where everything is contained in one place. You're eating, you're sleeping, you're working, it's all contained in one place. Mm. Is that the ultimate goal of a Bauhaus design is to... Integration, yep. Integration, okay. Integration of all aspects of life and, yeah, that idea of being able to um, to help uh, visualize all parts of life so that art is integrated into all aspects of life and that art is part of the overall feeling and sentiment of every organization or business or anything. The most astounding part, she says, is that Bayer's vision of integration is alive and well today, right outside my office door. The most amazing thing about our campus is that it's still being used to a huge um, extent larger than what Herbert Beyer ever could have envisioned. If Walter Pepke and Herbert Beyer were alive to see this, I think they would be overjoyed. The Institute and the Aspen community are celebrating the 100th anniversary of the Bauhaus over the next eight months. The effort is led by the Institute's community programs. Find out more at Bauhaus100Aspen.org. That's it for today's episode. Help us out. Rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Your review helps others find the podcast. And send us your thoughts on Twitter using hashtag Aspen Insight. Aspen Insight is a production of the Aspen Institute. The Institute is a nonpartisan forum for values-based leadership and the exchange of ideas. Thanks to our colleagues with Aspen Community Programs. Additional thanks to Lissa Ballinger, Harry Teague, and Ann Mullins. I'm Ben Berliner. And I'm Marcy Krivenin. Thanks for listening.